How's everybody doing this week? Well, we are on our final week of talking about the works of the Spirit, and today we are going to be talking about the evidence of the Spirit in the, in the believer's life. Um, we have to remember our primary definition of the work of the Spirit from Grudem is the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially the church. Now, that's going to be the definition that we bounce off of, because we're going to look at six and possibly one more way that the Spirit um, gives us evidence of His working in the Christian's life. Now, the first thing is, the Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence uh, of the presence and blessing of God according to our response to Him. So how we respond to the Spirit is going to uh, bring a stronger or a weaker evidence uh, to the Spirit's working in our lives. Um, does anybody r- remember, uh, who was that person? Now I, no, I can't remember their name. Oh, boy. I, I have to come back to it. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came uh, mightily upon Samson several times, and that's in Judges uh, tw- uh, 13, Judges 14, and Judges 15. But ultimately, it left him when he persisted in sin. That's in Judges 16. Similarly, when Saul persisted in disobedience, the Holy Spirit departed from him. And that's in 1 Samuel 16. And when the people of Israel rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit, he turned against them. Now, those were some passages that we covered last week. But we can see in the New Testament that the Spirit was pleased with Jesus. Now, does everybody know that the Holy Spirit was pleased with Jesus? That's an important thing to know. Um, and because Jesus was without sin and the Holy Spirit, it quote, remained on him. That's found in John 1, 3, 2, 32, and was given to him without measure. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. Do I have somebody who will volunteer? Got slim pickings today uh, for somebody to read that. Mr. Juan, would you read that? Thirty two through thirty four. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Okay. Um, you want to put that on now? Or? No, it's too late now. So. Okay. All right. Uh, sorry. Okay. Um, and also turn to John chapter 3. Just flip a couple of pages over and look at John three thirty-one through 36. Can I get a volunteer to read that? Okay. And he that cometh from above is above all. And he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testified. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony has sent to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things unto his hand. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, 
but the wrath of God abideth on him. And verse 34 says, for in the New American Standards, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. And then there's a semicolon, for he gives the spirit without measure. We can see, and in verse 32 of John chapter 1, it says, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remains on him. So that's just letting us, it is confirming to us what, uh, uh, what the point was that the Holy Spirit is pleased with Jesus. We have to understand that the Holy Spirit is pleased with Jesus. Now, I have a question. Or I have a statement. Uh, how we respond to the Spirit, it does determine how much of the Spirit will be available to us. Does anybody have any questions? Anybody, uh, does anybody need that statement filled out a little bit more? How we respond to the Spirit, it's going to determine how much of the Spirit will have available to us. Do you all understand what I mean by that? Yes, sir. Well, John, I thought, and I don't know, maybe you will go into it, but when we start talking about that, mm -hmm. um, the grieving of the Spirit, those types of things, I thought maybe you could just talk about the distinction between a believer grieving the Holy Spirit and not submitting to the work of the Spirit versus what we mean when we say that the Spirit um, effectually calls somebody and, and, and draws them irresistibly. So what's the difference between the work that the Spirit does that is irresistible? You know, we talk about that. Yes. Versus what you're saying that the Spirit can be. Right. There's, there, if, if, let me see if I can paraphrase your question. There's a work of the Spirit that is sovereign, it's God, it's what he does, but then there's also a work of the Spirit that's personal, and that it, the, the, it's kind of like a, a meter can go up and down depending upon what we do. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. It's, well, it's just the fact that there is a work of the Spirit that's in fact is not resisted and, and really can't be. Right. But then there's the, the work of the Spirit that, that can be resisted. In sanctification and the personal relationship. It, yeah. And pretty much that's pretty much the way to say it. There's there's a sanctification relationship that each of us have as as believers, and non-believers don't have any sanctification work in their life. But uh, but the the effective call, the effect, the effectual call, that is a sovereign act of God upon a, if you are determined and chosen by God before time. God is going to call you at some time, and you will come to him. That can't be resisted. That can't be changed. You can't, you can't uh, say no if God is going to call you. If you're a believer, uh, whether you're a believer now or if you're going to be, be a believer in the future sometime, when God calls you, you will respond. The Bible says that, my sheep hear my voice. And the Bible also says, and I got this from Sy Tim Brutenkate, that goats never become sheep. Okay? If you're not one of God's people... It doesn't matter how much God calls you, how much scripture you hear, how much truth you hear, how much witnessing you, ha you hear, you'll never come to God. You'll never be one of God's people. But if you are one of God's, you'll come to God. And that, but that, that work is different than the, the works that we've been talking about these last few weeks where the spirit can be grieved. And, and, and uh, we're going to talk about this week the blasphemy of the spirit. We're going to talk about the blessings from the spirit and those things, which are different in the fact that, again, there's a, a work of the spirit that's the sovereign act of God. And then there's a work of a spirit in the individual's life, which is a little more personal, which is, a, which is much more difficult to define. And I think, but that's the, the difference between the two is that, again, that effectual call is going to be something that is God's sovereign act that you have no control over. You're chosen by God or you're not chosen by God. And, but the, the sanctification, the works of the spirit and the grieving of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit and all these other things that we've been talking about are going to be uh, dependent upon your availab availability to the spirit. How, you, how you'll yield yourself to the Spirit and how you'll let the Spirit use you in that particular instance. Did I answer your question? Yeah, that's good. I think, I think the reason I can bring it up is because so many people, like when we talk about God effectually drawing people by His Spirit, they go to verses like that you're talking about now where yes. the Spirit is resisted, and they say, what do you mean the Spirit effectually draws people? 
you know, so they're just not making the distinction that. Yes. You know. I actually, uh, in Grudem this week, I was reading something, and I, and I let me see if I got to it. Cause I actually emailed somebody about it because it was an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I don't think I put it in my notes. I think I wanted to skip it. <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to skip it this week because I didn't want to confuse you guys. But there's a passage where Grudem says, um, uh, he was talking about an Old Testament prophet, and the, the spirit left him, but uh, he's talking about Samson. Samson was a saved believer, but the, the Bible says that the spirit left him. So what does that mean? What does that mean? He was a saved guy. He was indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. The Holy Spirit indwells in the Old Testament, but the Spirit left him. Did he grieve the Spirit? That's it. He, and there was things about Samson's life that were grieving to the Holy Spirit, that caused trouble in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't leave him, but the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, uh, that was intact, but the everyday, so, so you might say, workings of the Spirit those things left him. The blessing of the Spirit in his life left him. So we have to understand that there's a, a sovereign act of God, and then there's a practical working of what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your life. Okay, does everybody understand? That was a good question. Thank you. Um, the second thing that we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved and cease to bring blessings into our lives. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Yes, sir. Uh, so if the Holy Spirit left Samson because of the grieving, mm-hmm. so what about David? Same with David. Okay. Same thing. David was a saved man. This is a man after God's own heart. This is, I mean, David's, David's the man we look at in the Old Testament as a, as a believer, as a man who loves God. Okay. But he grieved God's spirit. He sinned. I mean, he broke basically all ten commandments when he committed that sin with Bathsheba. Okay. And, but God's spirit never left him. Okay, but the blessing of the Spirit in his life, the uh, the the effectual fruits of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit can bring about in in your life and my life, uh-huh. as we yield to Him, as we give Him control of our lives, those things left David's life. Okay. Okay. Now, I think uh, if you re- if you repent and turn around from those, because even as believers, we have to repent. I mean, right. we have to repent daily. Um, you can turn; the Spirit can bring those blessings back, okay. and and so you can walk being filled with the Spirit at any time. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of Letting yourself go, dying to yourself, uh-huh. picking up the cross, carrying it, letting the Spirit fill you. And the, the Bible says that an equal phrase to that is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you. If you've got the, if you've got the Word of Christ in you, the Spirit in you, those two parallel things, you can live a life that is a Spirit-filled life that will be very pleasing to God. Okay, so, so, so what you're saying is, uh, although, you know, we, we believe and sin that's in us, that causes us, that, that cause us to sin, uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, it, you know, it's not gone, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's, it's at a, it's available to us at a lesser level. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the easiest way that I could say it. Uh-huh. it you kind of get, we're getting into what's called metaphysics, the, the, the study of everything. Uh-huh. Um, you never lose the Holy Spirit. Right, right. You never lose the Holy Spirit. He's, if you become saved, he's there, boom, you're a child of God, you're on your way to heaven. All right? But if you sin, and let's, and let's, say you, let's, let's even say it's a, 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 a distinctive, permissive, grievous sin to the Holy Spirit. Let's say you kill somebody, you commit adultery, uh, homosexual, anything like that. You can lose the Spirit's active work in your life. Okay. 
for that time while you're in that sin, because sin and the whole and the Holy Spirit, who is God, holy God can't dwell in the same place. Okay. So, so if you, you, you don't stay in the sin. Yeah. You, and, and that's the thing. You're not going to just sit down and dwell in your sin. Right. So it's up to you to hold on for the for the Holy Spirit to. You know, I, I, what I'm saying is... But it's still God. Yeah, I, I, I want to say kind of, but that's not a really good answer. It's yeah. not that you, it's not that you hold on. It's that, because again, we're talking about, we're talking about what God does sovereignly and what God does practically. Uh-huh. And you're kind of, it, it seems like you might be kind of mixing the two just a little bit. Right. And that happens to a lot of people. Again, if you're God's and he's got his hand on you, he's got his spirit in you, that'll never be lost. Okay. But over here, how much the Spirit is going to use you, how much the Spirit is going to fill you, how much the Spirit is going to uh, manifest His gifts through you, is going to be determined by how open you are to God in your life. Does that make sense? I, I want to make sure I answer your question because I don't want you to be confused. You've got that confused look on your face. But no, no, I'm just, I'm just you know, like, um, at a point where I want to know that, you know, um, I know that God is there, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we all have, have this, you know, we, we no, we all have sin, and it, it, it at a point in our lives that we feel like that God is not there anymore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but then, um, we don't know as we want, if we want to continue to hold on, I'll just let okay. go. Okay. I think I, I think I understand. I think I think I think I understand you. If you're you're I think you're more talking about the results of the effective call, the effectual call. Right. That is going to be that is it's related to the work of the spirit, but it's not exactly parallel. It's not exactly what we're talking about. Okay. But if God has called you, even though you sin, I sin. Everybody in this room sins. Now, I think the difference is I think the more you understand who God is and, and what God is, the greater your sin is going to be in your life. I think why Paul could say that he was the chief of sinner, because this was a man who was extremely godly. And he looked at some of the things that I might just pass by as, uh-huh, and just, you know, keep walking. Paul looked at those and said, that's a sin against God. Okay? And I think that the, the issue is you have to make sure that there are as few of those issues in your life as you can. And that's something that you're going to do. But again, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And that, how that works, I don't know. How the Holy Spirit does what he does sovereignly, I can't tell you. So would you say that the Holy Spirit can overcome you grieving him? Can the Holy Spirit overcome you grieving him? What do you mean overcome? Uh, like even though you're in disobedience, say with uh, Jonah, mm-hmm. not wanting to go to Nineveh, mm-hmm. would, would you? I mean, would you say doctrinally that that you could say that that? Uh, If the Holy Spirit didn't override what we were doing naturally, none of us would be saved because we were all in sin when the Holy Spirit called us. And so does that answer your question? Because that's that's what I think. I think the answer is going to be a a yes with an asterisk. It's going to be a little qualified. Right. Okay. um, Because I'm I'm not exactly sure what you mean by override. So I need to maybe we can talk about it after class exactly what you mean by override. But if I understand you, that's 
Yes, the answer is yes. Yes, ma'am. Can I just add to that, and maybe I can, I can understand it as well. This is my understanding of the Holy Spirit working in us. We know that as believers, the Holy Spirit does not come and go. We are, by grace, saved, and we belong to Christ. Does that exempt us from sinning? Absolutely not. When we do sin, as we know, that if the truth lives in us, we will not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. Will we sin? Yes. But we will not live a lifestyle of sin because the Holy Spirit that dwells in us cannot tolerate and will not allow the believer to live in a habitual lifestyle of sin. And so, in that aspect, can we say the Holy Spirit overrides? Absolutely. Because we're not staying there. We're not staying as opposed to before we were saved, we were enslaved to sin. We were living a habitual lifestyle of sin. No conviction, no repentance. So, the Holy Spirit's always dwelling in us. Right. But yeah, there's an absolute time where we will breathe the Spirit by our sin. Right. Right? And, and I think what Grudem is talking about when he talks about blaspheming the Spirit and grieving the Spirit are, are different than, I think, the way we're using grieve the Spirit. Um, because I, I think we're using, we might be in, in our context here using grieve the Spirit as sin and fall away. Right. And I don't think Grudem means that. I just think he means the Holy Spirit's in you and you do something upon which where you cause his activity in your life to lessen. And I think that's, it, it, that's bad enough. But I don't want us to confuse definitions by saying, well, grieving the Spirit means that you lose the Holy Spirit. Because I think that is, is an error. Uh, you don't ever lose the Holy Spirit if you genu- genuinely received him as, as an act of work in your life. See, that's what, when you said sin and fall away, mm-hmm. see, that's, that's, that's where, You're you know, at. Where, where I was at. Right. It's, it's, it's sin and falling away. Uh, but, you know, uh, knowing that God is there, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, isn't the Holy Spirit, I mean, doesn't the Holy Spirit just give you uh, 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 a little... I mean, even even though you feel like that you, you know, that you, at a point where, you know, you, it's, it's just all over for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little light there. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think the Holy Spirit brings scripture to your memory. I think that's why we need to, we, we need to be walking Bibles. I think, I mean, it, I think Christians need to know the scripture so well that when you're at that point, when you've been, Walking in, in disobedience or when just the situations of life have got you so beat down right, right. that you start questioning, you know, God, are you even there? Are you listening to me? Do you hear my prayers? That something, uh, scripture will come back to your remembrance right. and you'll say, and something will click in your heart. You know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yes, God, you said that in your word and I believe that. And, it, and if I can't hold on to nothing else, I'm going to hold on to that. You said you'd never leave me. You would never forsake me. And I got... That, I think, is, is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going he's to bring back Scripture. He's not going to bring back, he's not going to be a flaming sign in the sky. Yeah. It's going to be something, it's going to be Scripture in your heart coming back to remind you, you're a child of God, walk like one. Yeah. John, yes, ma'am. can I also say that even in spite of, in our disobedience, and clearly can't God refrain from answering our character in that season as a, a matter of uh, um, chastening us? Right. Yes. But that just because we're not hearing from God doesn't mean we're no longer his. Right. It's just can mm-hmm. our disobedience kind of 
give us this idle time in this season where God isn't responding the way, and then because he's not, we're automatically thinking, oh, maybe I just don't belong to him anymore. Right. There, isn't there a, a difference? Right? I, 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 think, I think you're right. I think, I think we can, uh, in periods of disobedience and periods of, uh, of, of sin, again, when we're, have, I, I've walked in this place, and I don't know about you, they call it the dark night of the soul, that's the, kind of like the... <laughs> that's, that's, I've been in that place. And this is this is what I'm saying because you know, as as witness, I have been in that that situation right. where I'm going like I could read, I could I could study, I could go to church, but I it's just like I'm at a point where my mind is starting to get reprobated. Right. You know what I'm saying? Is um is um being turned over to the world? God, what are you doing to me? You right. Know, you know what I'm saying? And and. and uh, if I understand you, I think we're going to get to that when we get to blasphemy of the spirit. Okay. And some of the things that I want to say there, I think will be encouraging to you, hopefully. Okay. All right. Um, who, who's at Acts chapter 7? Seven? 7-1. Uh, 7-51. You want to read it for me? Uh, yes, you volunteered. Thank you for putting your hand up. I appreciate it. <laughs> Acts chapter 7, verses 51. And somebody else, um, uh, Mr. Wally, would you mind turning to Ephesians chapter 4? Verses 29 through um, 32. Russell, would you do me a favor? Yep. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22. So, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Go ahead, ma'am. You, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resting the Holy Spirit you are doing just as your fathers did. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. So here in Acts, uh, you've got one of the apostles preaching, and he's telling them that, hey, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through uh, 32. <coughs> Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Russell, could you read First Thessalonians five sixteen through 22? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything... Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, that the, the passage in Ephesians and the passage in 1 Thessalonians, I think um, if you, uh, to, to, to your issue, I think if you look at what he's saying in a negative thing, and then he says what he says in a positive thing, those are ways that we can combat those, those times when we're, down in the pit, you know, uh, if he says, do not quench the spirit, don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. You know, that's what you want to do. If somebody's, if some, if something's entering into your mind, um, you know, hey, go rob that person, go knock them over, you know, something like that. You want to hold fast to what's in your mind. Your mind tells you that we're supposed to love another person, that we're supposed to do good to another person, that we're not supposed to harm another person. And so you hold on to that. And you, I mean, and, and brothers, there's going to be times when, I mean, I got to bear hug stuff because that's all I can do. 
you know, on, on the job or on the job in my, my, my sin nature comes out when I drive a lot, you know, and so I'm driving. Sometimes I got to cling to the, to the word uh, because I, I just don't like what happens when I'm driving. So I'm, I'm trying not to tell too much on myself. Um, but I mean, you guys, everybody has uh, that person, that situation, that, that, that thing that just keeps, it hammers at them. It hammers at them. It hammers at them. And that, that one or two or three big, big sins that we all have in our lives, that's just, it's persistent. You know, you might beat it for six months. And on the six months in one day, it just it comes back like a flood. You know, that, that one thing. And what you got to do, find something good to hold on to and cling to it. Um, in a similar, I'm sorry, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I mean, obviously, we're going to continue to sin because we're sinners. Yes, ma'am. But the more that we are um, filled with the Spirit and we're able to have more of the power of the Spirit to avoid yes. sin in yes. our lives. Mm-hmm. And just like in James 1, it says in James 1, 13, let no one say when it when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not be tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So it gives the, what, what leads to sin is that it starts with a desire, and that's the heart, the mind. Right. You know, so we need to, again, just be in the word, um, just from what does the word say, you know, right. like as soon as you get that thing in your mind, that desire is mm-hmm. to attack it. Right. We will fail, but if we could do that more often when it hits to do that, I think we would be more successful. Right. I, if you go, if, if, if we don't have to turn there, but if you guys, because we all know the story in Genesis chapter three. That whole progression with how Eve and Adam sinned, mm-hmm. that's the pattern. I mean, it, it, it started, she, she, Satan said, did God really say that? Did God, in his word, did he say whatever it is? And then she starts to question it, and she starts thinking, and then she wants autonomy. She wants to make her own decisions, and boom, the world falls into sin. I mean, and that, that is, that pride is at, is at the essence of all sin, and that autonomy, that, that I can do it, me, I'm a man, I'm standing up on my own two feet, I'm pulling myself up by my bootstraps, that is going to be what drags somebody to hell. Because as a Christian, I say, I, I can't do it. I can't stand myself up. I can't pick myself up. And nobody else can either. I need God, I need you. Christ Jesus, come into my life. I need you to be the Savior and my Lord. I need to turn from these things that I'm doing that are evil and turn to God. I mean, because it takes another, it takes a, a, another, quote unquote, person uh, to lift me out of the muck and the mire that I'm in. It takes God to do that. Yes, ma'am. Um, and just back to what Miriam was saying, it is a, it is a matter of obedience, you know, and holiness, being consecrated unto the Lord, being renewed by your mind with the Word, um, keeping your your mind, your affliction set on things above. The more we are in obedience in doing that, like she was saying, the more we resist the temptations and it leading into sin. You know, it's like 
somewhere in James where it talks about, you know, res resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Right. We resist the devil by turning away and keeping our, our minds fixed on Christ. And so the more we are doing that, yeah, we are walking in the spirit. And so, yeah, the spirit's always in us, of course, but... Yeah, again, going back to grieving the Holy Spirit, we grieve the Holy Spirit by not being in obedience to the Lord and renewing our minds, you know. And so we can't be surprised if we shift and not do that and we're in disobedience. We can't be surprised that we're tempted here, we're tempted there, we're tempted there, and before you know it, we act on that temptation, right. which leads into that sin. And if you think about when Jesus was, was dragged out into the wilderness, when he was flung out into the wilderness, as, as this, the text actually says, every time Satan came at him, he didn't quote philosophers. He didn't quote uh, the textbook. He didn't quote, he quoted the word of God that he had, the Old Testament. And he quoted Deuteronomy, if I remember correctly. Isn't it isn't Deuteronomy, I think? I think it's Deuteronomy. How many of us have read Deuteronomy in the last year? You know? <laughs> well, I know you have. <laughs> but I mean, that's not a book that Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and all that stuff. I, I, I can't wait to read uh, Alan Ross's book on Leviticus that Pastor Emilio's read. That he's, that's the, I mean, it's the gospel and all of this stuff in Leviticus. When I read Leviticus, I'm just, take a hare and do this and do that, and take a turtle dove and do this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's killing me. But that's, I want to see what he's saying. So, I, I mean, I need to understand that book better. I need to understand all of those books in the Old Testament better. And that's, I mean, again, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. If you want to fight the devil, know your Old Testament. Doesn't that sound weird? But know your Old Testament. Know your New Testament. Know your scriptures. Um, yeah, Satan does, definitely. And Jesus knew him even better. He put him in right context. Um, uh, as, as we go back to our lesson... Um, in a similar vein, Paul gives a serious warning to Christians not to defile their bodies uh, by joining them to a prostitute because the Holy Spirit lives in them. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Um, we as believers do not want to break our fellowship with the Spirit and to cause him to grieve as we live our Christian lives. That's something we don't want to do. We want to uh, be walking in a manner that is worthy of the Christian life. Any questions? Any comments? Well, I do want to comment. Yes, ma'am. This is just really aside from everything, just sharing something with y'all, and I've shared with a few um, my own testimony. Just recently, you know, I've been attending this um, dog training course, and for me, it's been 12 years since I've been out in the work field outside of my home. Yeah, I've endured. I walk into Walmart. I go to an abortion clinic. I'm enduring sinners and the ungodliness. But there was a really big challenge for me. This went on for seven weeks. I'm surrounded by this all day, yeah. right? And so, um, you know, and I had asked others to pray for me because it was so hard and I was so grieved by being surrounded by such ungodliness, such worldliness, such blasphemy all along with even professing Christians. And the Lord was certainly testing me in a lot of areas. And one of the things, it was a reminder, and it was a reminder of how I once was. Mm -hmm. Like, I was so them, you know, 10 years ago or whatnot. And then there were seasons or time where you start kind of laughing along, just like, and then you're like, you're, you're reminded, no, that you're, you belong to Christ, right? There was this short little period of time toward the end 
the more I got comfortable with these people and the more they were be trying to befriend me right. and drag me in, I'd find myself laughing, you know, when they were talking about going out and drinking and so right. forth. And it was a very short season. It was short-lived, maybe that, that very moment. But from the very get-go, it reminded me how separated I was. You know, even being invited out to do ungodly things and even questioned, you know, well, I'm a Christian, Kim, what's, you know, what's wrong with you? And so during that time, I was tested. I was also reminded that I do belong to him. So, you know, for me, that was the first time I, I had really been surrounded by that on a daily basis. And it was a, it was a good thing. Right. Because I was reminded that I, I, I'm not that anymore. Right, right. You know, by God's grace. And so, and just going back, you know, sometimes we can doubt, you know. And I think for me... I wasn't in a doubting season for sure, but during that time it was just, it was grieving to see what was going on. And I saw the Lord even testing me. You know, I was even asked to do something um, playing a biblical, playing biblical characters. We had this role playing, mm -hmm. and they wanted to do it with Adam and Eve. And of course it was going to be in a comical, ungodly fashion. Right. And I, I said no, right? And so we... When we're being, when we're surrounded by the world, we can easily get swayed. And I started finally understanding poor Carlos, what he was surrounded by, and the challenges he would face. Right. And um, it's not easy. I mean, but then again, I saw God working through all that. So if we're surrounded by the worldly ways, you know, we're reminded who we are in Christ. Right. And it does take being in the Scriptures. It does taking. I mean, I was in deep prayer nightly every time I come home. Right, is anybody, are you guys familiar with uh, the Christian rapper known as the Ambassador? Is anybody familiar with him? Um, he's, he's got a testimony where, where he, he grew up in a really strict home and then he rebelled. And as he was rebelling, um, he would stand on the corners in, in New York with you know, Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses and all that stuff. And they're all standing around. And he said, you know, the, at you know, beep, 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 6 o'clock, the Muslim would go. And he said, I got to go do my lesson. And then he said, why? You know, you're out here smoking weed, doing what you're doing. Why you got to go do your lesson? And he said, I'm not willing to do for a truth what they're willing to do for a lie. And, the, and, the, and also the fact that when he would do those things that they were all doing, they would say, but aren't you a Christian? And that's how people are going to be. You know, it, you can be any other religion and do whatever, and nobody cares. Right. But if you're a Christian and you cuss. And you're, if you're a Christian and you're going out getting drunk, if you're a Christian and you're having uh, illicit sex, if you're a Christian and you are doing whatever, people are going to say, oh, see, that guy's a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't go to church. Mm -hmm. The worst thing that we can do is not let our, our walk match our testimony. If, if we're walking, if we're talking a lot of stuff and our walk is not matching that, that testimony, right. that's, a, that's a huge problem. But that's a different issue than what we're covering here with the Holy Spirit. Um, um, so that, let's move on to the third point. There's a, a, a little bit of a more serious offense to the Holy Spirit. Uh, even more serious than grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit is a, a more hardened and a deepened disobedience that brings his strong judgment. Turn to Acts chapter 5. I had a, a, a few scriptures, that I, but I'll just read... The, the one that, that appears to this, that, that applies to this one here. Um, Acts chapter 5, verse 5 says, and uh, this is Ananias and Sapphira, and it says, As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. 
and a great fear came over all who heard of it. Again, he lied to the Holy Spirit, and the, when the, and the text is clear to point out that he lied to God, not to men, but to God, by lying to the Holy Spirit. And when he did that, what happened? This man's life ended. Okay, That, I think, is a firm judgment. If you can't say that that's a firm judgment, nobody can. But now, I, I want to, to get now, to your point. They, so they were saved? Who, Ananias and Sapphira? Okay, now that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Um, it talks about them being in the fellowship of believers, being with the people. So in um, that sense, it makes me say yes. And I think God can judge you so harshly if you're in a sin that he takes you out. So my immediate answer would be yes, but I'd, I'd have to study it more. I, I would think that they were saved, but, ooh, you know, that's, that's a serious sin. But then we got Old Testament saints committing serious sins. I mean, I remember when, I professed Christ, you know, I went through like two years before God saved me where I was professing, but backsliding. Yes, and, ma'am. Uh, and I remembered I would always have it in the back of my mind because I always was all like into the rapture and tribulation and all that, you know, in Calvary Chapel, we talked about that all the time. So I had a lot of fear of the return of Christ. Yes, ma'am. And um, I still do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I was just waiting for the rapture, you right. know. And because I was living a terrible life, I would always have in the back of my mind, you know, what if I'm in sin and the Lord comes, you know. So when I read this, it kind of reminds me of the thoughts that I had back in the day, but I wasn't walking with Christ. But it can also be kind of like, well, what does that mean if you are in Christ? And let's say that you were in sin, not a habitual sin, but right. you sinned. Right. And an earthquake happened and the house collapsed. And <laughs> 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 I'm just going to say that we're You know, so it's just... Yeah, and actually everybody turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. There are warning passages in the book of Hebrews, and that's, uh, um, that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's what you were asking about, Marshall. Just what does the Bible say about the warning passages in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 26 through, I think, 29. Um, No, through 31. Uh, I'll I'll read it to save some time. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. Now, when I first got saved, that last verse, that was one of the verses that just stayed in my, my mind. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God because, like, as, as you were saying, Miriam, I knew I wasn't living right, you know, I, and I knew that there were things that God had to get out of my life. But the, the issue is, for this is um, how much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant um, by which he was sanctified and which he insulted the Spirit of grace? Does that mean that you can lose your salvation? 
No, okay? Uh, Pastor Emilio is going to actually talk about it because he's preaching through the book of Hebrews right now, thank goodness, and he's going to give us a, a wonderful explanation and deep exegesis of these passages. But what I'll say is the warning passages in the book of Hebrews are not talking about, again, losing your salvation. They're a warning to believers of what can happen if you're a person who doesn't believe, if you're a person who turns away from hearing the words of Christ. And I, I, I don't want to put any words in Pastor Emilio's mouth, but I think that's where he'll, he'll go. And uh, I think that's the, the best way to understand those passages. Yes, ma'am. In this particular verse, so we're talking about apostasy. You know, I could use an example, I guess, you know, a family member professed to know the Lord, seemed to walk it, seemed to talk it. And she knew the truth, she knew the scriptures, and now has lived, it's almost like, is living a lifestyle right. of complete, utter, habitual sin. Right. So we could say, you know, in that regard, that was a policy. She knew the truth, but she was never among, right? Never among us. Never so among the people. Never, You never were truly saved right. in the get-go. Right. And, and that's the issue. If somebody's going to say um, that they were saved, and you hear this a lot with atheists as you're talking to atheists, I used to be a Christian, I was a Christian, blah, 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 and they'll be offended if you tell them, no, you weren't. But the issue is, there's only two answers. Either they were a Christian or they weren't a Christian. And, the, and if I'm going by the word of God, the Bible says that you weren't a Christian. Because, again, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Never means never. Okay? Never doesn't mean sometime he'll leave you and come back, and then he'll leave you again, and then come back, and then he'll leave you for six years, and then come back to you. No. Never means he'll never leave you. Christ is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. God the Father is with you for all time. Once you get saved... You are his. Period. I was going to say that would also be denying the supernatural work of Christ. And in that sense, we're blaspheming to even say that the Holy Spirit can leave us. How can you say such a great supernatural work would, could do that? Right. Right? right. And how could a supernatural work that supposedly live in us have our lives continue down a habitual lifestyle of sin? Right. We will... We right? will we will not stay in our sin. We will, we will be people that get up and change through the power of the Spirit in us. Because God's going to reveal that sin to you, or it might, it might even take God sending another believer, like Nathan did with David, uh, sending a believer, another believer to you and say, hey, brother, I need to talk to you. You know, I've noticed this in your life. You don't, you don't really speak to your wife in a really loving, kind manner. You know, you don't, you don't love your children the way I think you need to love your children. And that can happen. Or again, God can just convict you. You know, you'll be reading through the scriptures and it says, husbands, love your wife. Oh, man. And that, the weight of that word love will just settle in on you. And you'll know, okay, I'm not loving my wife. I'm not loving my kids. Or, or anything like that. Now, the, he, the, the warning passages are Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, and Hebrews 12. And again, these are not saying that you can lose your, uh, your salvation. There's a great book called Four Views on the warning passages in the book of Hebrews. It gives a classic reform view, an Arminian view, a Wesleyan view, and one more view that I can't remember. Um, but it's really good. Um, the, actually, the guy who wrote the reform view is actually at Dallas Seminary, and that's kind of shocking in itself. But uh, it's a pretty good book. I've just kind of glanced through it. If you really want to understand the warning passages, they're not going to say that you can lose your salvation. And all, anybody, any passage that anybody uses to say that you can, they are misusing those passages. Okay? Don't be afraid. 
God is not going to leave you without a witness. He's given us his spirit. And we know that um, our, spirit was, our, our spirit testifies with the spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Okay? Um, finally, it can lead to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we don't have time, but if you guys want to write this down, Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31. I didn't know this until I was studying this this week. Uh, Numbers 15 actually gives a background to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that. Um, and so, but what happens there, if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, verses, thir- verses 30 through 32, it says this. Um, well, let, let me say this. Finally, there remains one more level of offense against the Holy Spirit. And this kind of offense is probably the hardest and most grievous. It is possible to offend the Holy Spirit, um, to offend the Holy Spirit that, is, that his convicting work will not be brought to bear again in a person's life. So Matthew 12 says, verses 31 and 30, 30 through 32, He who is not with me is against me, and he, does, he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, uh, it shall, shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Now these statements are made in a context in which the Pharisees were uh, willfully and maliciously attributing to Satan uh, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit that was evident in Jesus' ministry. Do you guys understand that? They were saying, you're not doing it, Satan's doing it through you. Um, uh, so we have to ask, uh, those who willfully and maliciously spoke against him and attributed his activity instead to the power of Satan were guilty, Jesus said, of what is called an eternal sin. Okay, That's in Mark uh, chapter 3. All of these passages indicate that we must uh, be careful, must very carefully not grieve or offend the Holy Spirit. You guys understand that, that we don't want to do that on purpose as believers. He will not force himself on us against our wills, but if we resist and quench and oppose him, then his empowering will depart and he will remove much of the blessing that God has for us in our lives. So that's the issue is. We don't want to offend, we don't want to grieve, we don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because it's when we do those things that God just kind of says, okay, look, because what we're saying to God when we do that is, okay, God, I got this. And God is telling you, no, you don't. Okay? Again, we don't ever want to be autonomous in what we believe. We don't want to live by our dictates only. We don't want our word and our brain to become the Bible. Does that make sense? Um, And I think that's Again, I love my charismatic brothers and sisters. I think a lot of them, when they have, quote-unquote, revelations from God and blah, 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 they're hearing words in their head that might be sort of like Scripture, but it's not Scripture. It's not God. It's not from any place, but it's generated within themselves. And when you do that and you turn yourself over to just letting yourself run rampant through things other than the Bible, you'll grieve, you'll quench, and it can eventually lead to blaspheming the Spirit. Question. Can Christians today commit the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? No. Who said no? Juan, no? Who says, anybody say yes? Anybody say maybe? Maybe. 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 Does anybody say, I'm not answering that question because we're in Sunday school and I don't want to embarrass myself? (laughs) (laughs) The simple answer is this. If you're worried about it, this this is how I'll answer it. If you're worried about having committed that sin, if you've ever thought that you've committed that sin in your life, you haven't committed it. 
That's the, that's the easiest answer. If you're worried about, Lord, you know, I don't want to sin an unpardonable sin. I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then you haven't committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. certain things? What would you use to say that we blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Like, give an example. Uh, I, I would say the... the I would is that like it. final, you know... It, the blasphemy of the... This, this is my understanding of the passage. That was something that happened in the text of the Bible. It happened then. The principle is they were attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan, okay? And so do I think that people can do that today? Yes. Would I call that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Um, but I would say that you're in serious error if you're going to say... If, you can still repent of that. You can still repent of that. Um, and, and, what, and, and that's, and that's the, the key difference. Those people were turned over. They were not going to give... Uh, Christ any kind of credit, any kind of, hey, this, something's up with him. He's, this guy's different, okay? They weren't going to do that. They, they, they were like, he's doing it from Satan. We got to kill him. Y'all understand? Yes, sir. So, uh, if, say like for instance, uh, if, you, if you're a Christian and you believe and, you know, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, you get converted over, or you become an atheist. Mm-hmm. And um, everything that you learn, you know, in, in being a Christian, you know, you deny it all. Right. So is that blasphemy? Like I said, I think, technically, I don't think it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but I think you're in serious error. Okay. Uh, like Bart Ehrman, a guy who was a professing Christian, got... Degrees from the, the, the highest seminaries in the land and everything. Mm-hmm. Now he's an apostate. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a better term than saying that, well, he's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I would say that somebody's doing that is an apostate. And, and, and an, uh, if you want to use the term apostate or if you want to use the term heretic, those are technical terms in the scriptures that have specific meanings to, that apply to specific situations. I mean, we throw them around as we're talking. Oh, he's a heretic. I, I use it a lot when I'm just joking around. Oh, that guy's a heretic. But... Those, those words have specific terms. I think uh, that saying somebody is a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit, I would not use that language. I would use different language to, to be, uh, I mean, you can use, to be you, accurate. You can be blasphemous just because you're speaking you know, sure. God's name in vain sure. and cursing God. I mean, you, can, you can say that's blasphemy. But that's a whole different category right. than, what, than what Jesus called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. At the Jews. Right. right. And again, he was speaking to specific people mm-hmm. that were even even specific people, even a subgroup of those people. He was speaking to Jews, but he was speaking to Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And again, those were people who were turned over to their beliefs against Christ. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Because they know. Yeah, they they knew, but they 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 were never they never professed belief in Christ. They were just like, nah, okay. this guy's not, he's not working. He he's a false prophet. He's He's everything. We're not. We're not. We're not going to follow him at all. They no, we're killing. You know. I mean, and when you when you follow the life of Jesus, and, I mean, what happens? Because I mean, just a few days before they crucify him, everybody's saying Hosanna, Hosanna, glory in the highest. As he's coming into Jerusalem, the whole town is there praising him. But what? Three days later, or two days later, or a week later? Excuse me. They're saying crucify him, hang him up on a tree. Because we, uh, nah, we're not going to let this man rule over us. Fair weather Christians, fair weather friends can change with the weather. 
Okay? But again, if you're a believer and you've got the Holy Spirit, you might, you might slip, you might fall, but you're always going to get up. You're going to repent. You're going to turn around. You're going to set your eyes back on the Lord. And you're going to keep, you're going to keep, I'm going to even say walking, you're going to keep running that way. You know, that's what we have to do. Uh, we have to be people who are in touch. You have to be in touch with your sin nature to be a Christian. As Charles Spurgeon says, as Christians, people die. Yes. I think uh, one of the biggest differences that I can see between us and non-Christians is they're not aware of their sin. Right. If, if you're talking to people out there in the world and you mention sin, they're like, what? Huh? Everybody sins. Everybody sins. My sin is not so bad. And that, again, that's the point I think that people are missing. Um, again, I think Paul was intently aware of his sin. He was a man that said, I'm a sinner. Okay? Well, even in that, those verses of the blaspheming, Jesus said they couldn't blaspheme the Son of Man, and for that they'll still be forgiven. And you also picture on the cross when he's saying, Forgive them for they not know what they do, because they're not realizing who they're persecuting in Jesus himself, but I think he directed to the Pharisees and what he did because they knew the scriptures and what it spoke about the prophet and that being God, the Spirit, you know, all together. So the blasphemy of the Spirit is a complete denial of God himself. Yes, you, when, you, when I, I looked at a few commentaries this week on that, that passage and, and, and what Russell said was amazingly right. Um, when you know who God is and you just deny it, and you know what God's done, and you just deny it, and you see what God's done, and you just like, that's not what God did, and you say that Satan did it, y'all, that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. And, and that's what those people did back then. And, again, we can do things similar, but I, I would just say that you're acting in apostasy or you are heretical in your beliefs. I would stay away from that term. I don't have a problem if you use it, but I just try to stay away from it. Um, I've got one minute to finish Three pages. I'm not going to make it. So what I'm going to do is I'll just give you the last two points. Uh, you can you can bless the whole. You can there's a blessing that comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, in the life of a Christian whose conduct is pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit will be pleasant present to bring great blessing. And therefore, it is important that our ministries be done uh, in the Holy Spirit. Now, the last thing that I want to say, if I can be granted some grace, is. Um, uh, therefore, in our Christian lives, it is important that we depend upon the Holy Spirit's power. And that's the last thing that I wanted to say. I didn't put it down there, but we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit's power. Um, that is how we're going to live our, li- our Christian lives. That is how we're going to be successful in our Christian lives. That is how we're going to overcome sin in our lives. That is how we're going to be turned into the man or woman that God wants us to be. Turn to John chapter 16, and I'll end on this. John chapter 16. It's actually the verses that I started our class with um, five weeks ago, but I want to read them a little slower and with allocution. Uh, um, That's emphasizing certain words. Uh, Verses 5 through 12. But now I am going to him who sent me, and, sorry, excuse me, yeah, 16, 5 through 12. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. That's a sin, not believing in him. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father 
Christ was on earth and he was a righteous man, but he was going back to the Father in that place of righteousness. And you can no longer see me. And condemning judgment because the ruler of this world has, past tense, been judged. Satan is a defeated foe. We are not fighting somebody who is on equal footing with us as Christians. We are fighting a defeated foe. He is a toothless lion. But we have to have the word of God and the spirit of God in our lives to, de to defeat him. I have many more things to say to you, uh, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of mine, and will disclose it to you. And I, with that, I say, God bless you. I thank you all for allowing me to teach these uh, last five weeks. Um, if there's any questions, you can ask me, and I'll do my best to answer them. Um, I just want to say a quick prayer uh, that... Uh, that the Lord would bless Chris as he's going to preach to us the second half of this passage, uh, this wonderful text in Malachi. And I hope all of you guys are just uh, filled with the Spirit, be blessed by the Spirit, and walk in peace. Thank you. God bless you.